Good morning, everyone. I want to talk today um, from, from a time that seems really strange. It feels like we're living in, just nothing is normal anymore. We're in the middle of a global pandemic that's led to economic upheaval and considerable problems in seeing family and friends, and holidays seem to be a thing of the past. Over the last year or so, we've had extreme weather events around the world. We've had a divisive election in the United States. We've had protests and riots around the world, growing out of a sense of injustice. <laughs> I'm a Brit. We've had Brexit in the UK and EU, um, and that's quite something for us as well. And of course, each of us has experienced personal tragedies or problems um, ourselves or in our families or among our friends. There's great hope in the vaccine that things will be different, but then hope is deferred. So I want to look today at how we cope with or make the most of or even thrive in times of trouble and adversity. Although, as our focus can drift away from God when things are going well, it also prepares us for the good times too. So I want to talk this morning on Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. I sang this chorus as a child, and you may have sung it too. I'm not going to sing it to you now. I will read the words out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I sang it as an adult in one of the churches I was attending, um, someone had added a second verse, which goes like this. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let nobody else take his place so that hour by hour you may know his power, till at last you have run the great race. In December 2019, I was diagnosed with central cataracts in both eyes, and they were growing quite fast. And in a few months, I could no longer drive. I'm single, I live alone. Um, this led to quite a lot of loss of independence, but it was temporary. So in June, I had my first surgery on the first eye. I hated every moment. You're awake during eye surgery. It was not pleasant. And I, I talked to my friend Fiona about it afterwards, and she reminded me of this specific song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So during the second surgery in July, I sang that song to myself, not to the surgeon, throughout the surgery, and it made all the difference. I wasn't focusing on the surgeon or the surgery, I was focusing on Jesus. And God has kind of turned that into an earworm for me for the months since then. And what I'm going to talk about today has come from thinking about that earworm and letting it take root in my life. So I believe that the way to survive and even to thrive in difficult times, in first, is first to turn our eyes on Jesus and then to keep them fixed on Jesus. The, pion um, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, 
in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Today I want to use a couple of illustrations. The first is something that most of us do on a daily basis, or at least we did until we were working from home, and that is driving. When you learn to drive, you had to learn how to change gear and remember to depress the clutch in time and bring it up slowly, to learn how to look in the mirrors regularly without losing focus on the road ahead, to learn how to steer and control the car in different circumstances, to do hill starts, and to, be, and to learn how to be aware of all of the different hazards around you, around the car. But once you've been driving regularly for a while, you don't think about most of these things. They become second nature. Or if you prefer a more Swiss analogy, skiing. When you learn, you start off looking at your skis, trying to control them, learning how to stop without falling over, how to turn, how to lean out when your brain is screaming at you to hug the mountain, how to survive until the teacher allows you to stop and catch your breath. But once you've learned how to control the skis, once you've learned how to lean down the mountain to cope with whatever is under your feet, whether it be ice or snow, smooth or bumps, or the worst, slush, and you practice regularly, you can focus down the mountain in the direction that you want to go, and your body just flows across the terrain without much conscious thought. That's the perfect anyway. In both of these cases, you could say that you develop muscle memory. You're able to focus on where you're going without focusing on what your body is doing. And to live a life of faith, where the ups and downs we experience don't control us, we need to train our faith muscles to develop this muscle memory. I'm not saying that what we experience won't be significant, won't shake us and change us, but it won't result in our faith being written off. I think the American equivalent is being totaled. And where better to learn how to develop this faith muscle memory than from how Jesus trained his disciples? So the first point, spend time with Jesus. Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, to spend time with him. And while they were with him, they listened to him teach. They saw him perform miracles. They watched him heal the sick, even touching the unclean. They saw him cast out demons. They saw his compassion for the outcast, for the hungry, for the bereaved. They got to know him as a person and relied on him. So the first thing we need to do is to spend time with Jesus. How do we do that? We spend time reading his word, the Bible. Read it to get to know it, 
to look for Jesus in every part of it, even in the Old Testament. Read it daily. Make it a priority. Think about what the passage meant to its first hearers and ask what God is saying to you through it. Meditate on what you read. Perhaps memorize verses that particularly speak to you or put them where you're going to see them every day. Sometimes people say to put them on the mirror in the bathroom or perhaps you want to put them on your computer monitor, um, somewhere where you will look every day, on the door of the fridge, above the cooker. Spend time praising and worshipping. When we do this, our whole attention is focused on Jesus and on our Heavenly Father, even if only for a short time. Sometimes our attention span isn't as long as that of a goldfish. For me, this often involves getting outside. I really love to worship God when I'm out in his creation, where I see his hand. And where better place to do that than Switzerland, where we have some fantastic scenery and evidence of the creator. Or perhaps you need to find a quiet place at home where you can focus all your attention on him. Or perhaps you use music to take you into God's presence. Whatever brings you into the presence of God so that you focus on Jesus and on the Heavenly Father. And then spend time praying. This is a conversation. This isn't a shopping list. This is a conversation with God. We can ask him for anything. We can talk to him about all sorts of things as a child would talk with its parents. And part of spending time with Jesus is also spending time with other Christians where Jesus' presence is acknowledged. Talking about what Jesus is doing in our lives, what we're learning from the Bible, and what we're learning from our times of prayer and meditation. This could be in one of Lyft's small groups, it could be in the ladies' group, it could be with Christian friends, within your family, whatever, wherever it is that you meet with other Christians. You know, in these ways, we get to know Jesus so well that we can lean all our weight on him. When I was a child, I went to a place on holiday, and while we were there, um, a big storm blew up. There wasn't any rain associated with the first part, but there were incredible winds. And we could actually lean over into the wind and not fall over. It was an incredible feeling. And that's kind of what it's like with Jesus, where we can lean all our weight on him and not fall over. You know, I'm speaking from the position of somebody who doesn't have other people in my household. But I do know times there are, there are seasons in our life when it's incredibly hard to find time to spend with Jesus. Particularly when you've got small children around. I know that sometimes even going to the bathroom alone is a luxury. That's why it's important to make time with Jesus a priority so that whatever moments we have, we spend with him. We can learn from Christian friends who've been through something similar and they can help us. That's why church community is so important. We can't do faith alone. We need a community. And it's so great that we can meet again together um, from next week 
you know, I've missed meeting people face to face. It's also easy to let our times with Jesus slide when we're busy, when we're out of routine. Sometimes when I'm on business travel, that's when it's most difficult to find time um, with Jesus. When things are going okay, when those around us don't prioritize spending time with Jesus in the same way that we want to. But when we take our eyes off Jesus, other things start to take his place. Maybe it's your position within your job, within your company. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's um, the things that you want to have. All sorts of things can take Jesus' place. And his face starts to grow strangely dim. That's when our faith muscles get weak and we're unprepared for the hazards that we have ahead. Once Jesus' disciples had spent some time with him, Jesus gave his disciples authority. To, and we read in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1, and then verse 7 to 8, that he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And he sent them out to proclaim the message that the kingdom of heaven was near. He sent them out in pairs so that they weren't alone. But he didn't only do this with his 12 closest disciples. He also did this with the 72. Interestingly, Jesus didn't ask them to pass an exam first to prove that they knew enough or were spiritual enough. They may well have felt unprepared and unqualified. But they went anyway, and they learned from the experience. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, we read that the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So the second point is we need to exercise delegated authority. Jesus has given us that same authority that he gave to the disciples but we also have the Holy Spirit with us. He gives us authority to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. And through the Holy Spirit to do even greater things than he did during his time on earth. We read that in John chapter, 12, uh, John chapter 14 verse 12. So in order to begin to build the faith muscle memory, we need to exercise this authority. Now, we probably need to start small. I don't think we're going to go out and try to feed 5,000 people from five loaves and two little fish. We, that's not where we're likely to start. But we can tell people about what God is doing in our life. We can pray for those who are sick. We can pray for miracles. You know, I was listening to um, the kids' time earlier, and one of the uh, videos that they had was of a girl who was in hospital with a problem with her hip and um, she was in ICU and not, she said that her, all her family were praying. It wasn't only her family, it was the whole church were praying and not only the church here but she's from South Africa so churches in South Africa were play, praying as well and we saw that she was healed. She's been made fully well. 
and we praise God for that. So that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about when we, we exercise that delegated authority. We pray with others for, um, for the, those who are sick and for miracles. You know, there's another aspect to exercising delegated authority. Um, the 72 said, even the demons submit to us in your name. When the Holy Spirit shows us that there is a negative spiritual aspect to a situation, might be a demon, might not, but a negative spiritual aspect, we can bring that under the authority of Jesus' name. And we need to bring those things to God. We need to bring those under Jesus' authority. As we pray, we will see God in action. Um, I've mentioned the girl whose testimony um, was shared earlier. There are others in Lift Church who've also got testimonies of what God has done in their lives or the lives of those that they love. But, you know, not all of our prayers are answered in the way that we want or expect. And that's hard, that's tough. And we have experience of that here too. We know that Jesus hears our prayers, but he doesn't always give us what we want. Those of you who are parents will know that what your children ask for is not always what's best. And God is looking for what is best. But when our prayers are not answered how we expect or how we want, we don't just shrug it off and go, oh, well, you know, maybe. We can bring that to Jesus and talk about what is happening what's not happening, what we're feeling. And Jesus only sent his disciples out with his authority when they had spent time with him. And the, the authority is delegated from Jesus. It's not our inherent authority. I have delegated authority at work. When I'm making decisions, I need to think about whether this is right for the business as a whole whether it's in line with our overall objectives and priorities, whether it will reflect well on the company, is it an appropriate use of company resources? It's the same when we're exercising Jesus' delegated authority. We need to make those kind of considerations too. For me, there are three things that we need to think about. Will our prayers lead to his kingdom coming, his will being done, and his name being glorified. That is what Jesus is about. His kingdom coming, his will being done, and his name being glorified. You know, there's a particular power in praying with others. Piet mentioned in the notices that we have the Lift uh, prayer meeting on Zoom every Tuesday evening. That's been such a blessing for me and for many others as we're encouraged by the prayers of others and we see God at work. So I encourage you, if you can, to join at 8.30 on a Tuesday evening. One of the things about driving and about skiing is that we never know what's around the next corner. And that's true in our Christian life as well. We need to expect the unexpected. We need to expect hazards ahead. Jesus warned his disciples specifically of this in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 16. 
I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, most of us are not likely to be arrested. Most of us are not likely to be flogged. And uh, Jesus goes on beyond that. Uh, That started at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, but it goes on to verse 39, talking about the kind of difficulties his disciples could expect to face. Jesus also tells us that we need to be prepared to take up our cross. We get kind of blasé about what the cross is, but the cross was a sign of capital punishment. Death, the worst kind of death. You know, what was true for the first disciples is true for all disciples. I don't know what form it will take for you because it will be different for each of us. But I do know that none of us go throughout our Christian life without trouble of any sort. So don't be surprised when trouble comes. God isn't surprised. He knew this was coming, and he's prepared to walk through it with you. So bring it to God in prayer. But be real. Sometimes when we're going through tough times, we can't pray ourselves. We need the support of the church family. Sometimes we know how we ought to pray, but we can't. We may be angry with God, disappointed with him or with others. We might be confused or sad. The whole range of human emotions. We can bring all of this to God, talking honestly about how we feel and listening to what he has to say and how he feels. I went through a time in my life um, when I was drifting away from God. And I said to him, you never speak to me. You don't speak to me anymore. And I thought, I'll give you one last chance. So I went on a prayer retreat. Oh boy, he spoke. Um, Because God, if we give him the chance, will speak to us. He wants to speak to us. And sometimes it comes through something we read in the Bible, something someone says, through a word or a picture that the Holy Spirit shows us, or maybe a combination of those things, or even just through a change in our feelings or our circumstances. I also want to acknowledge that sometimes the troubles we face are a direct consequence of our own sin. God is ready and willing to forgive our sin. He he just longs to do that. But mostly he doesn't remove the earthly consequences of our sin. And if this is what the Holy Spirit shows you, repent of the sin and work with God to find the best way forward. And again, at that time, that's when we also need our church community, our church family around us to help us to move forward. So whatever the origin of the trouble or opposition, God isn't surprised by it. He can and will 
as we read in Romans chapter 8, 28, use all things for the good of those who love him. His aim is that his kingdom should come and his will be done to the glory of his name. And finally, we need to follow Jesus and follow his new command. Jesus invited people to follow him. Some did and some didn't. Some made excuses. But for those who followed him, we read about them throughout the New Testament. Peter is a particular hero of mine. He left his home and his business to follow Jesus. He followed Jesus onto the water, but he started to sink. When he took his, face, his eyes off Jesus' face and looked at the waves, he followed Jesus into the courtyard at his trial, although he denied Jesus there, but he followed. And then he followed Jesus after Pentecost. Oh boy, when we see Jesus, Peter after Pentecost, he was almost unrecognizable from the Peter we see in the Gospels. We see confidence, we see humility, and we see a teachable spirit that shows us what a Jesus follower should look like. So Jesus, just before he died, said to his followers, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. We've just celebrated Jesus' last supper with his friends when he washed their feet, Good Friday and Easter. That's when we remember what Jesus did to show his love for us. That's the love of love he wants us to show each other, sacrificial love. And as we love others and they love us, showing in the flesh God's love, we build one another up to be able to face all things. Let's tie this back to where we started with building muscle memory. I've been driving for about 40 years, but I still sometimes grind the gears or drive badly. I've been skiing for almost as long, but I still have days when I ski like a Muppet. Usually it's because I've got my weight in the wrong place. I've been a Christian for 50 years, and still I have times where I'm letting my faith muscles atrophy instead of building them. As I spent time, as I look back over my life, I spent time with Jesus and I've exercised delegated authority and in those times I saw my faith muscles grow. In good times and in tough times. Do you know, when I look back, whenever I was building my faith muscles, I was plugged into a Christian community where I was encouraged, challenged, supported, and loved. This is so important, being plugged into a Christian community, however large or small that might be. You know, over the last year, we haven't been able to meet much in person, either in our small groups or here in Lyft. We haven't been able to spend as much time with our Christian friends as we might have done. But even during this time, Jesus has found ways to encourage us to provide the love and support that we need to grow closer to him. And if he can do it in these times, 
then he can do it in any times. I pray that what I've shared today will help all of us to build the level of memory in our faith muscles that we will need to navigate life with Jesus and to face the hazards ahead. I realize that there may be people here listening um, online, whether it be live or later on the video, who haven't yet turned their eyes on Jesus for the first time. You know, he longs to welcome you as his follower. And we're going to have another song now, but after that, Piet will talk to you about how you can turn your eyes on Jesus for the first time. Thank you, and God bless.